Hello and welcome to The Forge. My name is James and this is the place where I teach verse by verse through the Bible. I am a retired U.S. Air Force Master Sergeant who went on to serve the Lord's Church as an assistant pastor, worship leader, and youth pastor. During my time in these roles, I finished seminary and I hold a Master of Arts in Biblical Studies and a Master of Divinity. I've been involved in ministry in some form for over 25 years, and it is my hope that this podcast will be a blessing to you as I teach from God's Word, the Bible. Forge exists to serve those whom the Holy Spirit is calling into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is done through biblical teaching so that individuals understand God's forgiveness, live in its reality, and overcome the wounds caused by bondage to sin. I will always hold to the truth found in scriptures, and a summary of my doctrinal statement is worded perfectly in the five solas of the Reformation. I believe Christians experience gratefulness and renewed purpose as they are encouraged by the words of life, which spring from the Bible. I pray that this podcast plays a role in God's ongoing work in your life. Don't forget to look in the show notes for links to the podcast website where you can leave a donation or leave a voice message with questions. I will be collecting questions for a future Q&A podcast. Also, please leave a review on whatever platform you are using. That and telling others about this podcast are the two biggest things you can do for me. Now grab your Bible and get ready for a verse-by-verse study. May God bless the reading and the hearing of His Word. Welcome back. We are moving right along. While it has taken us a while to get here, I have to say that I'm surprised by how fast we are going in our study of Genesis. I will not be taking a long time here in our introduction, but I do want to once again thank you for taking the time to meet with me here uh, through all of these episodes. It means a lot to me personally that you are taking the time to meet with me. So today's episode, we will cover Genesis chapter 32. So turn with me there now in your Bible, the word of God. So Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp, and he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may have favor in your sight. 
Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company, which is left, will escape. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for the multitude. So he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother, two hundred female goats and twenty male goats, two hundred ewes and twenty rams, thirty milk camels and their colts, forty cows and ten bulls, twenty female donkeys and ten foals. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one, saying, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong and where are you going? Whose are those in front of you? Then you shall say, They are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my lord Esau, and behold, he is also behind us. So he commanded the second, the third, and all who followed the droves, saying, In this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me, and afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on over before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. 
for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the muscle that shrank. We see here from the very first verse that Jacob meets the angels of God. And I have often wondered what form they would have assumed. We don't know, as the Bible does not tell us. There was something significant about their appearance because Jacob recognized them as angels from God. What we ought to notice here is that Jacob is not only on a path which takes him to meet his brother in Canaan, but that he is also on a path of obedience to God. So there was something about these angels that indicated to Jacob that they were not ordinary men. And we see that he is not only on a geographical path, but as we study here, we're going to see a path of obedience to God. And out of this obedience, God grants yet another revelation of himself. I would remind you, as I did in the last episode, that Jacob did not have a Bible at this time. He did not even have the Ten Commandments. All Jacob knows of the one true living God at this point is what has been passed on to him from Abraham and from Isaac. He also knows God due to God's revelation to him at points along the journey. And such is the case that we find here. This is a revelation which will be one of strength and inspiration for Jacob. And as we will soon see, Jacob is going to encounter Esau, and he's going to encounter those 400 men. I want to read a quote to you from Arthur Pink uh, from his book, Gleanings in Genesis. And he states this, While in the path of obedience, we must expect to encounter that which will test our faith And not the least of such trials will be that to all outward appearances, God himself is against us. Yet as we start out along any path he has appointed, God in his grace usually encourages us with a plain revelation from himself, a token of his approval, a strengthener to the faith. And at the end, we find the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. So it proved with Jacob. To that, we can say, Amen. And I would simply add a word of caution here to the words of Arthur Pink. Seek God from his written word. You will be led astray if you go off in pursuit of esoteric and extra-biblical revelation. We have the Bible today. Ask the Holy Spirit to meet you in your quiet time as you read the Bible with an open heart and open mind and keep it in context. And if I may be so bold, turn off the various social media distractions and turn off prosperity, faith, 
teachers, word of faith teachers that often come on the television set or, as I said, through other forms of social media. What I'm talking about here, when we talk about revelation from God, we are talking about reading his word, nothing extra biblical, nothing that is subjective. And if you want to know what I think about all of those things, I encourage you to listen to the previous episode where I give you a list of names. And that's right. I call them out by name. They are false teachers, false prophets. The word of God is not in them. And God has not spoken through them. So moving on, we see that Jacob names this place where he meets with the angels. Jacob does indeed call the place God's camp. But there's an interesting implication here by the name which Jacob uses. Mahanium comes from the Hebrew Manea, which refers to a military camp. And technically, it actually means twin camps. So you could think of this as twin military camps. And you will remember from what we just read that Jacob divided his people and the animals into two camps or into two parts, two companies, in case he needs to run from Esau. He figures, well, if Esau attacks one camp, then the other one can escape. But we see this word is also used in Exodus chapter 16, verse 13, Exodus 19, 16, and Judges 7, 1, 8, and 9. Why did Jacob name this place in such a way? Well, it's because Jacob is starting to understand that God is going to protect him. The angels represent the protecting presence of God. Remember, God has promised that he would be with Jacob. You know, this must have been a great comfort to Jacob to meet these angels here. And for those Bible students listening, if you know the story of David and Absalom, you're going to remember that David ran to a city of refuge and that town was named Mahananin. And according to 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 24, verse 27, isn't it amazing how the Bible fits together? Isn't it amazing how this camp here that Jacob uh, calls basically a military camp or a twin military camp, it's also the name of the place where David runs when he's running from Absalom. So you see the importance of Genesis to your entire belief, dear Christian? I hope you do. I hope you can see how that what is being laid down here in Genesis from the very beginning, from the very first book in the Bible, how it is important and integral to everything we believe as Christians. We cannot give away the book of Genesis unless we are willing to give away the entire Bible. So as we examine the next few verses, verses 3 through 8, we see that Jacob has a plan. And you know, by this time in our study, this really comes as no big surprise to us. If anybody's going to have a plan, it's going to be Jacob. So to give you a kind of an idea of geographically where this is all happening, it would be about 80 miles from Edom. If you want to get out your Bible maps, some study Bibles have maps in them. 
you can certainly look these things up online and get an idea of where we're talking about geographically in the world at this time in history. But approximately 80 miles away from Edom, southeast of the Dead Sea, and east of Beersheba. Edom at this time is occupied by Esau. And you may recall that we brought this out in other episodes, and we haven't gotten to it yet, but in a future chapter, we're going to read where we see the connection between Edom and Esau. We'll notice here that we just read Jacob sends messengers along this route to Esau. And do you know what another word for messenger is? That's right. Another word for messenger is angel. So a great question is, why are there different words here in the text? Jacob sends messengers, but he meets angels. So glad you asked. The idea here is that messengers from God are called angels. And this is a distinction between mere men that Jacob is sending and these angels who come directly from the living God. Now, with that said, I want you to notice something here. There's three things that Jacob did. Number one, Jacob chose some men. Number two, he told them what to say to Esau in this case. Number three, he sent them. Does this sound familiar, dear Christian? Who do we know that chose some men, told them what to say, and then sent them out? Of course, his name is Jesus. And just something to think about there when you see stuff like this in Scripture. Look at the parallels. It's just a small thing. It's not something that where you could, you know, build a major point of doctrine, but it is interesting, is it not, that we see a pattern here in the Old Testament. And just a little thing, it's just a small thing, but I noticed that. It jumped out at me. Wow, look at this. Jacob, whose name is about to become Israel, God's chosen, he did something. And I'll say it again. He selected some men. He chose some men. He told them what to say, and then he sent them out to go say that. Now, in this case, it's to Esau. In the case of Jesus, he chose some men. He told them what to say, and he sent them out, and they revolutionized the entire world. So notice, too, what a change here has happened in Jacob. We're going to see it develop more and more. Remember, he had schemed both independently of his mother and in a, an alliance, really, with his mother to take the birthright from Esau. It was Jacob who was blessed by his father, and he was told that Esau would be Jacob's servant. And now it appears that the very things that Jacob wanted the wealth, the cattle, and everything that goes with it, Jacob is now willing to give it away. Jacob calls himself Esau's servant here. It's as if he's saying, listen, Esau, your inheritance is safe. I mean you no harm. Please do not kill me. <laughs> Jacob wants Esau to know that, that he's rich. Jacob is rich, and it is 
not coming from Esau and Jacob's not coming back to steal or to take away from Esau. Notice that Jacob, while he calls himself a servant, he calls Esau Lord. And this is Lord with a lowercase l. He's not calling him God. He is referring to him as the superior. And I don't know about you, but I see the beginning of a serious character change here in Jacob. Now, Jacob's human, and we're going to read as we continue on, we're going to see his humanity come through, but there's a shift in character here in the heart of Jacob. Jacob seems to now recognize that there are covenant promises that are made to him from God and that they're going to be fulfilled by God. He seems confident at this point to leave the matter in the hands of God. And in verses 9 through 12, we find the very first recorded prayer of Jacob. And we're going to see some things here that kind of seem to contradict. And we're going to talk about those. We're going to unpack those as we move through it. But it is significant to note that this prayer of Jacob's is placed between the first contact with Esau through the messengers and then the giving of the gifts seen in verses 13 through 21. So we have this kind of peace envoy going forward. Then uh, they return and they say, Jacob, Esau's coming to meet you and he's got 400 men. He's going to be here soon, Jacob. Then we see Jacob pray. And then we see after the prayer that Jacob is getting gifts ready uh, to send them out in droves um, before Esau actually comes face to face with Jacob. And R.C. Sproul writes that this structure is this way in the Bible because it suggests that Jacob is trusting God to prosper the gifts. It's interesting that it's sandwiched in between the first contact and now what apparently is coming. But we do need to kind of pause here and analyze the prayer of Jacob here for just a few minutes. The first thing that Jacob does is he reminds God of God's own command. He says, you know, you're the one who told me to go, Lord. And so I'm returning to my homeland now. So a question for us, do we need to remind God of what the Bible says? No. Do we need to remind God of what God said or what he commanded? No. When we remind God in our prayer life, we are simply saying his word. The reminder is for us. It's not for God. He doesn't need our reminding when when we pray it is acceptable in fact i would say it is the proper thing to do and it ought to be done to pray what the bible already states let me give you an example this is a prayer that i wrote for myself based upon colossians 1 verses 9 through 13 and this is a personal prayer and I wrote it down and I actually put it into my Bible. I put it on a piece of paper and I cut it out. And my study Bible, I actually taped it on the inside of my Bible so that I would read this prayer and that I would remember it. 
but it is based upon scripture. So here we go. Dear God, cause me to desire knowledge of your will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Teach me, dear Lord, to walk pleasing in your sight. Help me to be fruitful in every good work for your glory. Dear God, that I would increase in my knowledge of you. I humbly ask to be strengthened with your might according to your power, that I may obey you with a joy in my heart. Grant me patience and long suffering. My precious Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for qualifying me to run this race, for giving me an inheritance shared by the saints of God. You are the one true light. There is no other. You have delivered me from darkness. You have translated me into your kingdom through your son, Jesus. And it is in his name that I pray these things. Amen. So if you take the time to go look up Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 through 13 and you hear the prayer that I just prayed, you'll see that this entire prayer is modeled after scripture. And I do this not to tell God what he should do. I do it to remind myself of what his word already states. So in my prayer, I am attempting to come into an agreement with what his word says. And you'll notice that in this prayer, I don't ask for money. I don't ask for wealth. I don't ask to be prospered. I don't ask for healing. What am I asking for? I'm asking that everything that I do would be done according to his will and for his glorification that he would grant me the strength and the humility and the grace and the patience to get it done, that there'd be a joy in my heart. For what reason? So that I might be puffed up so that I could brag about it? No, so that God would be glorified. And look at what Jacob acknowledges in verse 10. And this is important too. He says, I am not worthy of, of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. What a transformation has taken place in the heart of Jacob. He has submitted himself to Esau, and at the same time he recognizes his unworthiness before God. When Jacob states what he was before he crossed the Jordan River and what he is now, he is recognizing that God is the one who has heaped all of these blessings upon him. He's saying, I had only a single staff, but now look at what God has done. I've become two companies. It is only after mentioning what God has done and the realization that Jacob could not boast within himself that he makes this request known to God. Indeed, it is now and has always been in God's hands, but Jacob has now come to this conclusion that it is in God's hands. You see, God deals with an honest heart. Jacob is honest with God in saying of his brother Esau, I fear him. God knows your heart. 
So you may as well be honest, friends. This is when God deals with us. Not, again, that God did not already know it, but that we have come to the realization of the situation that we are in. We must honestly face our situation. And Jacob's prayer is a simple prayer. It's one of salvation. It's as if Jacob is saying, save me. (laughs) And what a great prayer that is. So after the prayer, Jacob tries to help God out, just like us. Jacob was a manipulator. He was wise and clever. But what he's actually doing as he begins to try to help God out here is he is actually demonstrating the extent of his trust for God in this situation. And friends, God does not need our help. We are to pray and leave it with God. Jacob wants to appease Esau and trust in himself at the same time he's trying to trust in God. And this is what we see in verse 13. Jacob is saying something with his actions here. He's saying, I trust you, God, but just in case it doesn't work out, I'm going to take matters into my own hands and I'm going to send these presents ahead. Friends, that's not how it works. And before we're too harsh on Jacob here, I want you to consider yourself. As I was preparing for this study, I had to consider myself too. So it applies to me too. Here's what John Calvin wrote. He said, It is a common fault among men that when they have prayed to God, they then forget God and trust in their own devices. But the point of prayer is to wait for the Lord in silence and quietness. What am I saying? I'm saying we could all use a little help in this area. Pray and trust God to do his work in his way. Whatever comes our way as Christians, it is at his hand, and thus it cannot be wrong. So on the one hand, we see Jacob attempting to win his brother's forgiveness and acceptance. And on the other hand, we see his prayer for God's protection. Jacob splits his family away at this time from all the other possessions. And as we get into verse 24, we read of a wrestling match that happens here. Jacob wrestles with a man. And in the New King James Version, man is spelled with a capital M. And again, we have a theophany here in Scripture. And I must confess that I have heard about this wrestling match um, that went on between Jacob and the man, the man without a name. And I've read about it and I've wondered about it. And I've asked myself, you know, what's the point of this whole encounter? Well, I believe there's several things that we can get from this. First off, there are many conflicts that are coming for Jacob. This is not the first one, and it's not going to be the last one. They're not over. And we may also draw from this illustration here, this wrestling match, that the nation of Israel, which will come from Jacob, will also face many future conflicts. So it's future from Jacob's perspective. 
So Jacob is going through this wrestling match, and in a way, it's a kind of foreshadowing of things to come, not only for Jacob personally, but also that is for the people that are going to come from him. But there's also something else to notice here, and that is this. God is extremely patient toward his people. This wrestling match goes all night long. And friends, God is long-suffering toward us. Don't mistake his apparent inaction or his inability or don't mistake his inaction as inability. In other words, just because it appears from your perspective that God isn't doing anything, it doesn't mean that he is incapable of bringing discipline on those whom he loves. So don't think for one second that he has given approval to your stubbornness of heart and your stiff-neckedness, if that is a word, your hardness of heart and your rebellion against him. He gives you opportunities to turn from your sin, and he will go the distance with you. But listen, friends, he will accomplish what he has set out to do. So Jacob gets touched in the thigh. But we know this is just not any old kind of touch. Notice how quickly God puts an end to the struggle of the flesh. He does it with a touch to Jacob's hip. And now and only now does Jacob surrender to God. Why do you suppose the Lord would make Jacob crippled? Why would the Lord do that? And what a difference in message that is from the prosperity teachers that want to tell you that you can be healed of every single thing that ever comes your way. And here we see the hand of God himself, Jesus I believe the eternal son who took on human flesh here before the incarnation reaches out, touches Jacob, and makes him crippled. Why would he do that? Well, this way, he can't exactly run away from Esau, can he? But neither will he prevail against the Lord. In other words, it is the Lord who won the wrestling match. So again, I'd like to give you a quote from Pink. He says, Jacob was now brought to the end of his own resources, one swift stroke from the divine hand, and he was rendered utterly powerless. And this is the purpose God has before him in his dealings with us. One of the principal designs of our gracious Heavenly Father in the ordering of our path, in the appointing of our testings and trials, in the discipline of his love is to bring us to the end of ourselves, to show us our powerlessness, to teach us to have no confidence in the flesh, that his strength may be perfected in our conscience and realized weakness. So you may have a strong will, dear Christian, and God may have to touch your thigh But let me encourage you, you should pray for God's touch. And I'm not talking about a physical healing touch that's going to make you feel good. I'm talking about a touch that leaves you broken in full dependence upon God. 
because you see, it is better to be broken before him than to have your own way and be lost. Pray for God's will. Pray for his blessing and provision in your life. Don't misunderstand what happened here with Jacob. Jacob is not ordering God to bless him. He is begging God for a blessing. And that's yet another reason why he wrestles all night long. But I can say with certainty that Jacob did not have a busted hip in mind when he was asking for a blessing. And exactly what was the blessing? Well, the blessing comes in the name change. And isn't this just like our Lord to change names? He does that in other places throughout Scripture. He changes names. Or he'll do a little wordplay with the name. You know, the name Jacob comes from his birth. You may recall Jacob, he was called the heel catcher or supplanter. Jacob relied on self. He was a manipulator. He was self-governed. It is a series of lies and deception that have actually brought him to this place that he's in right now. But now his name is Israel. And I've told you before to be on the lookout for those words in Hebrew that have the E-L on the end. El. Israel. What does it mean? It means governed by God. Governed by God. What a great name for a nation. No longer is Jacob to be under his own control, but he will be governed by God. No longer is self in control, but God is in control. And Jacob knew at this point that he had seen God face to face, hence the name Penny L. See the E L on the end, meaning the face of God. How did he look upon God and live? And he, he even says, For I've seen God face to face and I've lived through it. Well, friends, the eternal son showed up and emptied himself, as the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. I'm going to read that to you. It says, But made himself of no reputation, talking about Jesus, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we see, Christians, that God will change your character. While you and I have yet to see him face to face, as these great men and women of old had the privilege to do, we have had the Holy Spirit who lives within us, 
who has brought us to life and who has sealed us forever. So dear Christian, I do not know the Esau in your life. I do not know what you are wrestling with. And I don't know what you're wrestling with God about and how you are trying to manipulate your situation as you trust in the things of the flesh. But I do know this. If you are his, dear Christian, you will surrender. And you will be blessed in your brokenness, which he, out of love, commanded at his own hand for your good and for his glory. You see, this is a very different message then it's all going to be okay and just have enough faith and God's going to bless you and prosper you and you can make demands on God. That message of prosperity and faith word teachers. It's a very different message that I'm bringing to you. I'm telling you that if you come to Christ and once you have been saved and once you are his, you will be broken. And it's because he loves you and he is working something out in you greater, more beautiful, more precious. It is for your good and for his glory. Now, if you are a non-Christian, you need to come to Christ in repentance of faith and faith. Rather, you need to come to Christ. And and I'm telling you, Christian or non-Christian, non-believer, I'm giving you almost the same kind of message that I gave to the Christian. I'm telling you this, you're going to surrender also, just like we just read here. You will surrender, but yours will not be a brokenness, which leads to life. Yours will be a brokenness that will bring death. And so I set before you two choices. You've got the choice to make here, non-believer, non-Christian, follow Christ and live. Or continue in your sin, continue in your rebellion against God, and you will face his wrath, both in this life and the one to come. And I know this may sound crazy. I'm talking about brokenness before God. But let me say this, Christian, I hope it will be encouraging for you. I hope it is encouraging for you. Because that's the whole point that I want to do here, is I want to edify and lift up and build up believers. I want others around the world, wherever you are listening. And I saw we have a listener, at least one listener, in Ethiopia. Praise the King. I don't know who is listening to me, but I hope that this is an encouragement for you if you are a Christian. Be broken before God, and He will lift you up. Just like He is with Jacob, was with Jacob, He will be with you. It just isn't going to look probably the way you expected it to be. So, if the Lord has used this podcast in some way to help you and to bless you, please let me know through the link. And until the next episode, continue on in the faith, knowing that our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. Amen.
again for listening to the Forge podcast. And don't forget to leave a review with comments. Let me hear from you. Leave a voice message through the link. I hope and pray that you find ways to apply the truths of God's word in daily living. Remember, dear Christian, you are forgiven. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. May you grow in Christ in the study of the Bible and truly overcome wounds that were caused by sinful choices and actions of the past. I also pray that you are always reforming, seeking to glorify God in all that you say and do. Remember to be grateful to God for what he is working out not only in you but in all his creation as well. And lastly, be encouraged encouraged to serve God and others as you grow in him.